Okay, welcome to another session on the assistant situation. With me are two old friends of mine, Kevin Ross, CGCS. He's still certified, right, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. And Rick Tegmeyer, CGCS MG, Master Greenkeeper from across the pond. Uh, Kevin is retired from uh, Country Club of the Rockies in Edwards, Colorado, and Rick is still kicking at... Uh, Des Moines Golf and Country Club in West Des Moines, Iowa. Um, we thought we would do this um, episode uh, sort of casually described as th three old ball guys. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, touch base on some of the issues that have come up over the past conversations of the last week or so. Um, from their experience, obviously, both career superintendents been around. Um, Rick actually has a son, Nate, who uh, came up through the business and is one of the superintendents at uh, his facility in Des Moines, which might be interesting to chat about a little bit because I've also spoken to a um, uh, superintendent recently who had three sons, I think, and didn't actively encourage any of them to go into the business. So, uh, Kevin, you suggested the, uh, the three old bald guys uh, <laughs> round table today. So what's on your mind? Well, I just thought we'd, uh, you know, cover some of the stuff that uh, has gone through the years and how we kind of came to where we are today. Um, I know uh, some of the younger folks uh, you've been talking to, and I, I use that younger word kind of uh, easy, I guess. But, um, you know, I thought the one thing that uh, came to mind as I listened to some of the, uh, the people talk about the situation is, you know, um, back when I started, um, you know, it was... I guess you'd say it was a superintendent, an assistant, and a mechanic at the club year round. And some clubs did not even have that. Um, nobody, when I started in the business, um, had two assistants. That was just, uh, no, nobody had it. Uh, nobody had a spray tech. Nobody had an irrigation tech. Um, there was three people that did it back then. I'm talking very good clubs. I'm not talking, you know, some of the, uh, the, the lower echelon type clubs. I'm talking some of the good private clubs, superintendent, assistant, mechanic, and, and that was it. And you started out on the East Coast, correct, Kevin? Right, right. I did a, uh, I did a construction growing for Brian Silva in 1985. And um, it was a pretty big operation. Um, it was a housing development, everything. And so at that time, I thought, you know, I'm going to hire, I got to hire a, another person, another right-hand person that uh, foreman is what I was thinking he was going to be. But um, I thought, well, why don't I hire an assistant? Um, because they'll have some education, they'll have some experience and see if I could keep them on year round. Well, I had a little trouble keeping two assistants on year round, obviously the off season, they were wondering why I had to. And I didn't even look at them as a, as a first assistant and a second assistant. They were just both called assistants. 
And it was about that time and, and a little prior to that, that I had heard other clubs were doing something similar. So I, at, at one time there was only one assistant. Then all of a sudden, and not every club went and had two assistants suddenly, but that evolved over the next five plus years. Um, so, you know, as if you used round numbers, let's say there's 10,000 clubs and a lot of those went to the two assistant route, you know, you doubled the amount of assistance and still had the same amount of superintendent jobs. So initially, I think that was some of the problem and may still be some of the problem. How do you mean? Well, there's way more assistance um, to get into any superintendent job. So therefore the mobility of these, these folks isn't there. And then you see the decline of the assistant, whether they go into sales or um, start a land. I've known a few people to start a landscape business, um, you know, go some other route. So I think there was a, you know, a lot, a lot of assistance and there's a lot of assistants out there still. Rick, how many do you, do you have um, beside your two superintendents? Well, each, each superintendent has two assistants and we're a 36 hole facility. Okay, so each 18 has two assistants. Yes. So Rick's got four assistants basically um, for, for two 18s. Yep. And so there's a lot of assistants out there versus golf courses and golf course jobs. And when you look at the superintendents not moving around as much, then that's where these superintendent assistants say, well, why do I want to do that? Rick, I'm curious about Nate's situation. Um, was it always sort of preordained that he would come up um, in your uh, sort of under your wing or did he go out and work somewhere else or how did that come about? So Peter, when he first, uh, when he was a very young kid, I'll say, you know, five, six years old, he started going the golf course with me and got interested in it. Uh, when he was 14, he went to work for a greenhouse and started learning how to plant flowers and, and do that sort of work. And then when he turned 16, uh, he went to work for Tom Feller at Cedar Rapids Country Club. We lived in Cedar Rapids at the time. And he, he basically, uh, it was never my intention for him to work for me, but uh, right around that time when he was 16, 17, 18, uh, I got the job at Des Moines Golf. We moved, he went to turf school, just a two year program in Cedar Rapids. And he was looking for an intern position. And, and uh, at the time, Greg Woolman and Aaron Porter were both superintendents for me at Des Moines Golf. And they said, we, you should hire Nate. So we hired him. Uh, it turned out that we had a second assistant come open, a position come open. And uh, I went to Jim Cutter and, and uh, said, hey, we've got this position. He said, who's most qualified? I said, well, Nate is, and, he, and basically I said, I don't want to hire him. He's my son. And he says, if he's the most qualified, get over it. And so we, we hired him. And, uh, you know, now Nate's been there 14 plus years. So, wow. <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember when you first introduced him to me at uh, Beer and Pretzels, I think, in San Diego. And that, that had been about that time. Because he, I think he just came on, uh, came on board right about then. Yeah, it's been a long time. So, 
Jeez. And, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, as I, I get to the twilight years of my career, uh, you know, he's got to make the decision what he wants to do. Uh, go for my position or go to another position or uh, even look outside the business, you know. I know, I know these, these long weekends, these long hours during construction projects, all the, you know, he's seen the, you know, he's seen firsthand the stress that it's done to me over the years and he's lived it. So it's, uh, there's other jobs out there that are probably more attractive to these kids. What's your, um, uh, how's your labor supply there? Do you have open positions? Have you had trouble filling? So uh, in our key positions, so I have 16 full-time people that I work with all, all year long. Uh, we've had good luck keeping those positions filled. We had, we had an assistant superintendent position come open a year ago. We hired a young man that was, uh, that had interned at a very good golf course and he came to work for us worked all summer, worked into the fall and come in and said, this is not for me. I got to go do something different. Uh, so we then advertised again on TurfNet, and uh, we had, I think two people apply and we hired one of them. So, you know, got lucky to fill those with, with kids that uh, are young men that were coming up through the, through the ranks, but I didn't have a lot of people apply for those positions. Now, Seasonal staff is a whole different story. Last August, uh, my seasonal team or my, you know, summertime staff is usually around uh, 43, 44 people. And August 1, we were 14 people short. Wow. And so that really puts a strain on crew. I mean, they're working, you know, you try to give them every other weekend off everybody. So we basically split both crews in half and uh, paid overtime, paid time and a half over 40 and, and, uh, got through the season, but it, it, I could tell at the end of the year, everybody was strained. They needed a break. I just checked our job board, uh, before we came on here and there are 233 assistant positions, 62 second assistants and 52 AIT. So all told that's about 350 open positions which is way above anything that I've ever seen before. You know, it, it's amazing to me. Uh, there's just not a lot of people to backfill these positions anymore. The, uh, there's just so many better jobs that, that people can go to and, and uh, have a family life and, and time away. And, and the younger generation uh, definitely has, has figured this out that, that, Quality of life means more to them than, uh, you know, and they can find a better job somewhere that pays more. You know, you know, a lot of these, you know, if they work 40 hours a week, they're, they're sitting in their homes right here behind a computer, punching away on a, on a keyboard and uh, they're not in the elements. They're not getting dirty. They're not getting wet. They're not cold. They're not working weekends and it's not low pay. What do you think we can do to change that? Well, I, th I think I think the market is really uh, starting to dictate what we're doing. You know, the first off, you know, personally for us, we've raised salaries considerably, which, uh, and I'm I'm to blame just as much as everybody else. You know, over the 
I bought into that club mentality many years ago. You know, you try to try to manage to a budget number and and uh, and everything. I've always I've always felt uh, assistants should never ever be on salary. So all all the assistants that have worked for me have always worked hourly wages. You know, if they're going to work more than forty hours a week, they deserve time and a half. Okay. So, so we've always done that. We've always given them every other weekend off. Uh, but it's still not enough, you know, because I still, I still think we underpaid them, and I still think we're we could raise those those pay rates higher today. And and now we're finally getting to the point where, where club wide we're doing that, and uh, I think it's going to take a couple of years to catch up, get get those get those salaries up there where they should be, and then uh, make those jobs more attractive to young people again. What are, you seeing in, what are you seeing in your uh, travels there, Kevin? Ooh, a lot. Um, talking to a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I think some of the deal with the wages, you know, there was a lot of low paying superintendents positions. I mean, if you're going to pay an assistant something decent that that person's worth, then you're going to have to bump up the superintendent salary. I mean, there's a, I had a call the other day from someone who said, geez, I saw these assistants being advertised in the Chicago area for uh, almost $100,000. This person's a superintendent at a decent private club, makes 80000 a year, which is not too bad. But they could only pay, you know, what are they going to pay an assistant? 50, maybe 40, 50, when that person's making 80. And should be making more. So I think the superintendent salary. Now, there, there's a big discrepancy when you get into the upper echelon 5% of the private clubs in the country that have a lot more money, a lot more uh, resources. But in the, in the really decent private clubs that are paying a superintendent 80, 90 or so, what are you going to pay the assistant that you think's good? I mean, it'd be nice to get assistants in the you know, a lot of them into the 60, 70 or, or, or more. But I, I don't just, think they can. I was I just looking at one that was posted today from actually out your way at Roaring Four Club. Uh, AIT 55 to 58. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The prop, one of the problems out here, um, and uh, without getting into this too much, is, you know, we, we have uh, in a lot of areas of the country, it suffers from uh, what I, I call the resort effect. Um, you go up in the Vale area. Now, a Roaring Fork is in the Aspen area, or you go to Big Sky, Montana, or you go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. These places, the real estate, the cost of living, um, and not that it's not high everywhere, is literally off the charts. You know, you, you, they, nobody can buy it. Even the superintendent in those positions that let's say they're making 150 plus, they probably can't buy a house. You know, the average house to get in the Vale Valley now, you get into a two-bedroom condo for six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars. I mean, what do you what can you do? And that's 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 what I call the resort effect, but that's that's affected a lot of the United States now. I got an email this morning from a guy. Um, he's an assistant in Texas. That's right, that's where he is. And he had worked outside of the business from college on as a four-year degree works, you know, doing whatever he did at 
for uh, 12, 13 years, I think, until his mid-30s, at which time he decided that he didn't like that or whatever he was doing was not fulfilling. Well, decided to work at a golf course. Uh, rather than go to turf school, he just he interned at a couple places, you know, in his mid-30s. And um, I should probably find that. But in any case, it said something to the effect of um, uh, you have to pay your dues. You have to uh, anybody who wants a cushy um, summer camp type job. Um you know, might as well go to one of the lower echelon clubs where they don't know what perfect is or, or something like that. And okay. I mean, I get that, but I also replied to him, all right, let's, let's say, or do you own a home? When did you buy it? Did you buy it when you worked elsewhere or could you buy one right now? Um, your kids, were your kids small? when you were in your twenties to mid thirties, or are they small now? I mean, those, those are, you know, two different vantage points, um, you know, to look and say, you know, it's okay uh, to really go um, a whole hog on this thing and to be semi, semi-critical, I think. Um, if you have your ducks in a row, but for somebody who's got young kids and trying to buy a house and is working 60, 65 hours a week, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Even uh, like I said before, you know, if you start paying these assistants a good wage. Um, I, I don't know how uh, a new assistant could become, you know, some people say, well, what's wrong with a career assistant? And there's nothing wrong with it in my opinion, but can you get somebody and pay them enough that they're going to be able to buy a home they're going to be able to, you know, get married and have kids and stay in that, that, that area is just, it's just extremely difficult with the cost of living. When you got to go to the gas pump and you fill up your truck and it's a hundred bucks, that, uh, that is a, that is really tough. And, the, and, and not only that, uh, just the cost of everything is, it's tough. Even before, even before big inflation, it wasn't easy. You know, the, one thing that occurred to me or has occurred to me through a lot of these discussions is um, the, the goal of the assistant being to attain a superintendent position. And what the reality of that is once they do that, um, and that would be an interesting sort of a survey to take because, you know, Kevin, I think earlier you mentioned the, um, you know, assistants sort of giving up and going into sales and that kind of stuff. Well, how about the number of superintendents who kind of burn out and, and, uh, and go into sales or whatever? I'm talking with a guy later today who was an assistant for 13 years and um, decided to become an arborist. I guess there's no uh, no weekends there, but I, I wonder what this, the, the, is it the satisfaction level or, or where do you think the, the career is falling these guys short? Say if it's a superintendent at a mid-range club, you don't hear too much about the upper echelon guys bailing out, but you know, if somebody's 
you know, before this recent surge, you know, somebody was making 60 to 80,000 bucks a year. Um, where do you think the satisfaction level or the satisfaction in the job itself enters into that? Is there enough satisfaction to offset the obvious pitfalls of, of time away from family and all that kind of thing? Rick? You know, I, I have two, two very good friends who were both six-figure-plus guys that, uh, that got out of the business in the last year, which uh, they both kind of shocked me, but one of them was truly burnout, uh, didn't enjoy working for his new general manager, and the other one, uh, I would say, was burnout too. Just, he just, the job satisfaction was not there. He had been at, at this club 20 plus years, uh, was making a good salary and uh, couldn't afford to move anywhere else or nobody else would hire him. You know, he's that he's that above 55 years old, above, you know, above a, a higher salary and uh, couldn't just couldn't make the move. You know, I, I made the move to Des Moines golf at the right time in my career uh, when I was 45, 46 years old. Uh, you know, I made that second jump from Elmcrest to Des Moines Golf, and if, if I hadn't done that, I probably would have been out of the business because you just get complacent, you get burned out at the same thing. It's it's not fun anymore. Uh, there's nothing exciting to do sometimes, you know. So it's it's hard to stay long term at a club. You know, um, I was lucky. I, I worked for a guy that had worked 49 years at Des Moines Golf when I first got into business. You know, and, and uh, had a lot of advice from him over the years, what to do, what not to do. And Rick, made a lot of mistakes along the way. Rick, when you got the job at Des Moines, if you hadn't been the assistant there at one time, do you think you would have got the job? No, no chance. No, I, I was uh, two of the three guys that, that interviewed, you know, that were in the top three were former superintendents at Des Moines Golf. You know, so we had a lot of job knowledge between the two of us, and I was I was the lucky one that got it. But it's uh, job satisfaction. Uh, I would say now is uh, is high on young people's list. It's, it's you know, I love the fact I love the fact when I drive away or drive out of the property every night, I can see what our crews have done, our staff has done. And I get a lot of satisfaction from that. You can get a lot of instant gratification, but you, if you listen to all the negatives that come your way, uh, they're gonna burn you out. They're gonna make you wanna leave. Uh, you've gotta learn to, to be thick skin, which I'm not. I'm very thin skinned. It, you know, those types of things bother me a lot, but uh, I've also got a good support staff at home. My wife understands it and works through it with me and, and we, we can get through those things. But these young people coming up uh, want instant gratification too. They wanna be, they wanna have job satisfaction. They wanna have meaning in their lives. And I definitely now the, the employees control, I think, control everything. I mean, if, uh, you know, I had some summer kids, some high school kids last year working for me. They walked in the day before the member guest and said, hey, we're going to go to Colorado. 
We'll see you in a week. And what did I say? I said, oh, good. What day are you coming back? You know, the Rick of 20 years ago would have said, never come back. You know, but you need those people. You, they definitely control things. They, and you've got to learn to deal with that. And you've got to learn that they need that time away. You've got to go to bat for them with your club officials and say, hey, times are changing. We're, we're going to have, we're going to have some of those discussions this afternoon uh, at our board meeting. We, I've got a board meeting at 430 this afternoon. We're going to have some, some talk about inflationary things and how, how we can attract more people and, and uh, what we can do to make it a better place to work. Well, let's back up 20, 25 years um, when you didn't really hear all that much about burnout and things like that among superintendents, did you? I, I don't think, Peter, I, I think social media has uh, opened up the line of communications, the internet, you know, 30 years oh, it's ago. it's more obvious. Yeah, you, you just didn't talk about things. You didn't talk about, you didn't talk about mindfulness. You didn't talk about mental illness. You didn't talk about drug abuse and alcohol abuse and, and all those things. Now you've got all these outlets to do so. So they're talked about, they're, they're dealt with, which is, which is good, but it's still, it's a different line of communications than it was. You know, we had turf bite back in 1990 where just a few of us, we're on a computer bulletin board, you know. Uh, so it's oh. so you think a lot of it is self more self awareness, both self awareness and awareness of what other guys are going through too. No, no doubt about it, in my mind. Yeah, I, I think some of it too is uh, is got to still be expectations. I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm guessing at Rick's places, uh, you know, every year, every year gets got to get better. You know, what have you done for me lately? Can't fall off. Got to stay ahead of the curve. Pressure, pressure, do better. And, and, and sometimes for a lot of clubs, it's, it's do more, do better with less, mm -hmm. um, which is extremely difficult. But uh, superintendents do seem to find a way to do that. And, and then that actually puts more pressure on them. Um, yeah, that's just but, piling on the workload, I would think. Um, in one of the one of the round tables we had, I think it was the first one actually, um, you know, I've always been uh, a big believer in that the golfer expectations are the ones that are, are driving up the, uh, both the cost of doing business and the, the anxiety of trying to get it all done. Um, to the point where, I don't know whether you remember old Bob Tager, who was out in out in California on, on TurfNet, spelled Bob with two uppercase Bs. But in any case, he said at one point, if I could ignore the top 5% of my golfers, I could reduce my maintenance budget 20%. Now that's probably a little bit of a stretch, but what we talked about in this first round table was, and, and I brought up the, uh, the Aussie method of raking bunkers. Now, you know, it's beautiful to look at. It's got to be crazy time consuming, I would think. Now, did that uh, trend start with golfers or did that trend start with superintendents? I don't know truly where that started. I actually thought that started in Western, Western uh, Canada with a guy about 30 years ago, but 
I guess it started in Australia. I don't know, but um, uh, I don't know. You know, we, we did what we call a half Aussie and I did that for years. And a half Aussie is for me, there's no need to smooth the bunker on the backside from, uh, from a shot value. Cause really some of the smoothness of that is to have that sand firm up and not plug a ball. That's hard. So we always did that on the green side face. And um, I, I, don't, I don't know if it works that great, but it's great for the mentality of the members because they think, oh, look at that. Look at that. No plug balls, even though they'd have, have a plug ball now and then. But as far as the money to do it and everything, I don't think it, it was much less. I, I mean, excuse me. Really? Much Didn't cost much more. I don't well, think Rick, so. that, that might be another manifestation of social media, you know, <clears throat> all the sharing of photos and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't bought into the Aussie method. Uh, I've always been the firm, you know, I've been in the business, this is my 50th year now. And, and I sit here and think when, when golfers came to the golf course back in the 70s and 80s, they, they looked at the weather, they looked at the conditions, they didn't have range finders. They, they played the golf course as it was meant to be played. And, and the bunkers were, the bunkers were hazards then. You know, now so much of that has changed where, where you come to a golf course and if the bunkers aren't perfect, they complain. Uh, if, if the, you know, you gotta have range finders, you gotta have all these things. And, uh, you know, I was in Europe a couple of years ago playing and it was, it, I felt like I was back in where golf was meant to be played without all this extra pressure brought on by, I think, I think it's, it's Americanized is what I really call it. I mean, it's, we're our own worst enemy. Well, I agree with that. You know, I, I've been to Ireland. I don't know. You were on one of the trips with us over there. And um, it occurred to me every time I was over there that, you know, the, the 5%, the upper 5%, the loudmouth golfers, it should be a mandatory thing for go to, go to Ireland or Scotland or the UK and spend a week over there and see how, you can enjoy a round of golf on a natural service surface that's not um, completely uniform, doesn't have any blemishes. I mean, over there, you'd see primroses growing in the rough. And, you know, guys would be run out of town in yeah, the state right. for that kind of thing. But it makes for su such a, a more enjoyable, I think, a much more enjoyable uh, low key, low pressure um, experience playing around the golf. When I was in England uh, speaking, I had I, we went on a ten day vacation after that. My wife and I and uh, were invited to a couple of golf courses. Just I just wanted to look around, and um, so we went ahead. Just just Karen and I went ahead and and walked the golf course uh, as much as we could and stayed out of golfers' way or head of the way. And it uh, wasn't too long we got out there. I don't think we went 50 yards. And she looked at me and she goes, man, look at all these weeds. <laughs> and this is a pretty good, this was a pretty good golf course. Um, and I said, yeah, that's the way they do it over here. And I kept going a little further down the fairway. And she was, you know, wow, what are all these little soil things on the fairway? And they had some earthworms. I don't do anything about earthworms there. Weeds doesn't matter the, the level is so different and I, I agree with Rick just 
get the ball, put it on the tee and, you know, old fashioned golf. Um, but now the expectations between, like Rick said, social media and Rick, I'm sure, t tell me every day or excuse me, every, every spring when you start up, isn't it in the back of your mind that, yep, I got a top last year. I got to be I, as I would, good or I would top. Say, yeah, I would say, uh, I would say your own, we are our own worst enemy. You know, I, I, I actually sit down, write a maintenance standard for the year. I usually do that in January, February, present that to my grain committee. And we're going to have, you know, we have a discussion about it. You know, if, if you want us to change that, then, you know, if we want to raise those standards, then you have to raise budgets. You have to raise all these other things around it to get, to raise that standard up higher. And, and, uh, that's helped a lot, but, you know, just like last August when I was 14 people short, the expectation of the golfer when they came was still the same, even though I had less people. So you still had to work harder and longer to achieve the same level just to keep things on an even keel. And, you know, I'm lucky that I have a general manager that, that understands that is working to help me change their attitudes and change uh what we do just if you know if you want to you want a higher standard thing you got to pay more everywhere for cost for labor for budgets everything so how about efficiencies uh operational efficiencies on the golf course um again in in some of the uh, conversations that have come up um what do you see on the horizon that could be implemented that, that might be able to, you know, shave an hour off of the work day or, you know, do, do you do time studies as to, you know, different ways of uh, logistics around the golf course or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, do, does that really, do you think industry wide, does that get looked at? I think, uh, you know, the USGA is promoting their new Deacon system, which, which we've, uh, we've kind of bought into a little bit, but they're, you know, they have several different uh, factors in that, but one of them is where they put GPS trackers on your golfers and they play for several days. And then you, you can look and see where some bunkers are being used. You know, you're, they're hitting into some and they're hitting, not hitting into others. You can take those out of play, maybe get rid of them, maybe real line nat native areas, maybe add more native areas. Uh, there's a lot of information there that you can get out of that, that system, I think, is, is very beneficial. Uh, you can also put those same trackers on your, your equipment and see if you're being efficient. Uh, they also have a new uh, golf ball coming out that you, that you roll off of a stint meter and it shows you trueness. It shows you smoothness of a putting green. Uh, all those things you can then tie into clipping yields and, and weather data to see if what you're doing is, is harming ball roll or green speed or all those different things. So it's a lot of technology, I think, down the road that we can utilize uh, to get better and more efficient at what we do. You know, you maybe, you know, 
you listen to Chris Tritterball, he's he's uh, he's top dressing less. You know, maybe maybe doing more sand, heavier applications, but his frequencies are less because he's found out it's de detrimental to the to this the putting green speed. You know, so instead of just going out on a maintenance Monday every week like we used to do. Uh, he's making different plans how he does it for the year and being successful with it. So all those things, I think, you know, again, it's sharing information and, and we're learning. Uh, I think this is still a very young business that we're in, even though it's been around for 150 years. Uh, it's still it's still evolving. And now, now with uh, autonomous mowers, uh, GPS sprayers, we're, there's all these things that that clubs are buying into to be more efficient. What else is on your list there, Kevin? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, a couple of things that, that caught me on, uh, I know Paul Mack said uh, he was mad at himself because he worked too much back then, you know, 15, 20 years ago uh, on one of the previous ones. And, you know, I, I look at myself the same way. I was uh, a young guy. I was a, a workaholic for, for a number of years. I thought that's what we had to do. And, um, you know, probably towards the last few years of my career, I worked less. I had better assistants. But um, looking back, I think, you know, those, th those things were mistakes. I worked as an assistant. When I was an assistant. Well, super let me ask you one thing, though. Yep. Both you and Rick are at good clubs. If back then you did not have that balls to the wall mentality of full throttle all the time. Do you think you would have wound up where you did? I don't think so. No, I don't, I don't think so either. No. I think that's a great question, Peter. It, it, uh, I'm, I'm a type A driven personality and, uh, and, and I wanted to achieve those things in my career. And if I, I felt like, I had to work those hours. You know, my dad was a blue collar guy. He kind of, he kind of brainwashed you when you started that that's what you did. You had to work hard for what you what you wanted. And um, so that's what I did. I've always done. I don't think that's changed. I don't think that there's anything about that that's changed other than perhaps that there are about the number of hours. I think everybody who goes into this business or any business who wants to achieve something is going to want to work hard and apply themselves and, and learn and grow and all that good stuff. Um, well, hopefully they can do all that with less hours and less work. Um, Cause I know uh, I'm sure Rick and you know, myself, it's 60, 70 hours, whatever, plus for a lot of different years, uh, was, was a normal thing and uh, hopefully now the the new su superintendents of the world uh you know I, i'd like to you know they can get that done in 40 45 or however they do it um that that would be uh that'd, that'd be something good that would help the industry as a whole not only from a superintendent standpoint but may help the assistant situation um knowing that you don't have to you know put in the six or seven years as an assistant at 60 plus and then be a superintendent and do the same thing for a while and, you know, be like Rick and I were, you know, all of a sudden you're, you had to do that until you were 45 or so <laughs> or more. Or longer, yeah. So if you took, if you took a 60 hour work week for the average assistant now 
and say, okay, um, we're going to cap you at 45. What would suffer? Yeah. Well, hey. well, Peter, for me, my, my assistants work 48 hours one week and 40 the next. That's why I've done it for 15 years. There you go. And, and if uh, we just went out and you, if you got to hire more people, then you got to go to the powers to be and say, I need more people so that we don't overwork these people. Now, you know, during construction time, we worked longer hours because we had construction project. You know, the two weeks of verification, we worked longer hours. But for the most part, we really adhere to that for, for all for everybody. Oh, good for you. Yeah. I think there's some opportunities. Uh, you know, it was mentioned on the previous uh, two that you had out. Um, you know, if it rains, send the guy, send everybody home, send the guys and gals home. Um, or, you know, in, in my opinion, not a lot of productive things happen on the golf course after 11 a.m. Um, you know, you might be full of play. Uh, the course is busy. I mean, if you send, if you try to mow some rough, a guy makes one or two passes, shuts his mower off or force him to go through, makes another pass, shuts the mower off. So I think there's some opportunity there um, to get some assistance, even some of your regular staff, just to, you know, they do the five. Um, Bill Spence was kind of a, uh, he was a little bit of a mentor of mine back country club of Brookline years ago. His schedule was five. He was at the shop every day at 5 a.m. And he was gone at two. Never worked past two ever. And he sent a lot of his assistants and other people home whenever they could, if they had an outing or something in the afternoon. There's a lot of wasted, wasted effort in the afternoon. You don't need an assistant just to hang around to watch what's going on. You know what's going on there at the club. Um, so I think there's some opportunities to let them go then. And, and uh, you know, we... I heard a lot of the scheduling in the previous ones as well, where they did 12 on two off. Boy, I tried that. And that, I thought that was the worst. I, I gave the assistants the, the opportunity to say, Hey, you tell me how you want to do it. Oh, we want the 12 on two off. Well, those assistants, when it came day 10, 11, 12, they were dragging. So they said, we want to switch to, one day a weekend off and we'll work the other day. And that's the way we went. I think I did that for the last 20 years or so. Yeah, so we, we do the 12 on two off and it, it seems to work pretty well for us. Yeah, never never worked very good for me. Um, so that's- but again, Rick, but you're capping it at 40 or 48 hours though, right? Right. So right. 12, 12 or so those weeks that they work seven days, they're not working 10 hours a day. No. No, I've, we've never, I've always felt that, that uh, you're not spending the club's money wisely if you're paying time and a half. Well, that's a difference too, in that the guys who are on, a, you know, the guys who are on salary, um, is, that where the, is that where the hours get run up? Yeah, yeah I think. I think I I never think you should have a you should never have an assistant on salary. It's you're you're taking advantage of those people by, by having them on salary. You know, our two superintendents are on salary, and I I try to, you know, like you know, especially like in the wintertime, try to give make them only work four days a week. So that because they work some some extra hours in, during that summer. 
you know, it's, you got to be fair to them too. Yeah. I think a seasonal operation offers some opportunity too to, uh, you know, take care of me in the summer. I'll take care of you in the winter. And we used to reduce hours in the winter time, um, have a little bit of plow duty and that was needed, but, um, you know, that's the time to, uh, you know, it was a recharge over the five months of the winter, four or five months. And, and your assistants were salaried, Kevin? They were salary. Yeah. I think, Rick, might you might be on to something there. Because, you know, on the hourly basis with overtime, it forces everybody to be accountable for that. Because like you said, you're spending the club's money. Is that is Is that money being spent wisely or is that you know, are those hours being worked because, you know, that's the way it's always been, or, you know, that's what is expected. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. All, All right. right, let's wrap this up. I know Rick's got some time constraints today. Any further thoughts, either of you? No, I, you know, I really, I really think, uh, there's a chance here for, for superintendents to go to bat for their employees. Uh, you just got to be willing to share these things with, with your GMs and, and board of directors and say, hey, uh, for us to get more people back in the business, we've got we've to change some things. And it, it, the change starts right here at home. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, good. Good for you. Yeah, I think I agree with Rick. You know, it's uh, it's nice that uh, you know you, Peter, and Turfnet are bringing this up a little bit more out in the open and talking about it and what what can be done. Um, I blame Steve for that. He has no idea how much work he caused me. <laughs> I'll let him know that. <laughs> but uh, you know, Steve was right. I know when we had him on uh, one of my videos, uh, he said. Uh, you know, the days of uh, the days of 10, 12 hour days and not paying them, they're they're gone. Um, you got to pay them what they're worth now and you got to be flexible scheduling. Uh, mm -hmm. And you just, you can't, you can't drive them. Uh, you can't work them hard. You can't, can't do that anymore. And I agree. Yeah. I mean, even myself, I hardly even work and I don't want to work as much. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be in that airstream. That's right. Okay, fellas, thank you for your contributions again today. And um, this will wrap up another session of the assistant situation with two of my Thanks, old Peter. buddies. Okay, Thank guys. You, Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Take care, Rick. See ya. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.